Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. We are on episode 34. With me, my co-captain as always. Scott Larson. And we decided we would finish out this wonderful, sharp week with whom, my good man? Well, we uh, finished out the trilogy strong. And today we have the director of marketing at Stern, Mr. Zach Sharp. How are you doing today, Zach? Must be a pretty slow news day if uh, you're trying to do the the final sharp and the sharp trifecta, but I appreciate it. I'm doing okay. Actually, we needed to build up because we needed to get the background, and uh, now you are currently helping drive uh, the market leader in pinball, and so it actually makes a good end piece so we can get your perspective on how things are now and where you see them in the future. Ah, you know what? That was a great answer. You know, I could also say, you know, it's kind of like the last dance, which uh, I know Josh alluded to, but, you know, I just watched episodes three and four. So you can say this is the last dance of the Sharp uh, podcast trilogy. So, you know, as long as it's not like a Highlander, there can only be one. Um, I'm, I'm happy with uh, your answer there. So let's go. Well, you shouldn't be so modest because we reached out before and you're like, you really should talk to my brother, Josh, and my, my dad, Roger. And we, we're like, we feel too intimidated to talk to them because, I mean, your dad's such a an amazing figure figure in the community and whatnot, and and you know Josh is awesome too. And we're just we're, we're like, are you sure? And you're like, yeah, hit them up first, and we'll talk later. And I'm like, it, not not many people that we meet in the podcasting realms. Like, you know what? You should you should interview these people first, and then you know they 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 do a lot better than I do. And I'm just like, but you're you're man over marketing of stern like i doubt they be terrible with these things so i like you know actions speak louder than words and uh my father and josh they speak a lot and i let them you know have their their space so i i, I think we're going to take the same approach we're going to start uh, referring people to better podcasts when they ask us for interviews and then we'll come back <laughs> yeah. oh that's funny we talk about head to head doesn't they're not operating anymore. So yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, so Zach, um, so first question, how much money is in the jar that's I'm Zach, not Josh? Oh god, I've lost count. Once it once it eclipsed, you know, like ten thousand dollars, I just stopped tracking. So it's good. It's a good uh, college fund for Benson. So there you go. It's a uh, saving up for the next LE title, title, right? Yeah, exactly. So, what want to start off? We did talk with your dad, and it was great because we brought a lot of information that I had no idea about from him taking the shot up until he actually joined uh, Williams. Uh, I found it fascinating that it was about a ten-year gap where he was involved in pinball, but more as a contract worker as opposed to directly involved. So, I wanted. Uh, you grew up when he was actually working at uh, Williams Valley Midway. Uh, Want to get your thoughts on growing up in that environment and what are some things that jumped out at your memories? Um, I would say the best or biggest memory was having the best birthday parties. Because while most kids, you know, might go to Enchanted Castle or Chuck E. Cheese, I would take my friends to the Williams factory and we'd play games in the lunchroom as well as going to other places. So that was always the memory that stuck out most was being able to go to the factory um, as a kid, just not understanding the sheer scope and scale of what was happening. What was your favorite game from back then? Uh, you know what? I mean, 
from from a Williams perspective, I could not even tell you just because they all kind of blended together. But growing up, um, you know, I love Sharpshooter and Cyclops, but if there was one game that I gravitated more towards, uh, and maybe because it was in my bedroom, it was uh, Jack in the Box, uh, old Gottlieb game. So growing up, did you feel like, you know, this is what I need to do? This is, I'm going to follow my father's footsteps, or was it just kind of an awesome childhood you didn't really pay much more attention to than that? Uh, more of the latter. Um, I would say, funny enough, and I know this sounds blasphemous, I was more of a video game fan growing up. Josh gr gravitated more towards pinball than I did. Um, we were both into sports, but um, I played video games more than pinball. And it wasn't until I got into the competitive realm that pinball really kind of hooked me. Now, when did you start getting into that? Because Josh mentioned that your dad actually said, yeah, I'm not going to let you guys compete in that. And in some ways, he viewed that as a forbidden fruit, it almost a whet his appetite to actually, I want to do this. Yeah. So growing up, um, you know, there was pretty much only one show, uh, Pinball Expo. So that would be like our one time a year where we would go. Um, we'd get embarrassed because people would be asking our father for his autograph, which we thought was just insane. Like, why are people asking for his autograph? That's weird. Um, but we saw some kids playing in this roped off area and it's like, Oh, wh what's going on over there? And there's trophies. Oh, well they're winning trophies by playing pinball. Like dad, uh, can, can we go over there? No, no, Josh, Zach, those are other people playing. You guys can play over in the free play area. And he kind of just kept deflecting, deflecting, deflecting. And, you know, this only happened once per year. And we just kept asking, like, we keep seeing kids winning these, like, giant teddy bears and these trophies. And, you know, we're pretty good at this. We play against our friends and we're constantly beating them at pinball. And Josh and I were both in karate. So we were used to high-level competition and, you know, getting trophies for performing under pressure. But when it came to asking our father to compete on the pinball level, he just kept deflecting and it took years. I, I don't even know how many years it took, like just begging and pleading to let us just please compete. And I understand his perspective. He, you know, he holds pinball so dear to his heart. I'm sure he would hate to see his two sons have like a sibling rivalry, you know, falling out because we're both competing um, at pinball. But it was the complete opposite. Uh, once he let us compete, if anything, it, it close, uh, close and Josh and I, uh, our relationship, we became closer. So if anything, uh, it helped that. And we happened to be pretty decent at it and won a lot of stuffed animals. So at, at what age did you actually start competing um, I believe I was 12 or 11 going on 12 when we competed in our first tournament. So I was 12 and Josh would have been 14. So you said that you liked video games more growing up. What was some of the games you gravitated towards? Well, I don't know if you've heard of this game called Mortal Kombat, but uh, that was definitely uh, one of our favorites and NBA Jam, NFL Blitz, like, a lot of sports games. RBI Baseball, if we want to go the old uh, Nintendo route, uh, Zelda, Mario Brothers, the classics, but uh, definitely the sports games, sports and fighting games. So did you and Josh fight over who was going to be your dad in NBA Jam? 
<laughs> you know what? Josh probably played as my dad more than I did. I was always just, you know, let, let me let me get the Bulls. Let's go. Okay, wait. Your dad's in an NBA Jam. I didn't know this. Yes. Uh, not only is he in NBA Jam, uh, it's tournament edition, not the original. So the second one, if you put in his initials and his birthday, which I hate saying it's his birthday because then people might do the math and figure out how old he is. Um, but you could also play as him in NFL Blitz. So that was that was a fun moment when I was a freshman in college and me and my uh, dorm suite mates were playing NFL Blitz for the first time. And I put in this code and all of a sudden it's not only my dad's head, but I would put in the code for giant head mode. So it was a giant head of my dad playing NFL Blitz and my roommates were like, what is going on here? It's like, that is my dad. Scott must stop been paying attention because your brother Josh gave out the code of how to pick out your dad on our on the episode we recorded with him. So Okay, well, he, he said the code, but I didn't know what the code was. And I figured I didn't want to look stupid by saying I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Well, now you have to find a NBA Jam or NFL Blitz out there. I, I actually played a lot of N- NBA bl- or NFL Blitz. I, I loved that game. It was, it was great. It was so good. You uh, you grow up, you end up going to college, and uh, tell us about your thought process and your career path by going to college. Yeah, so my um, career path was definitely unique. So I almost went to an art school. Um, I've kind of always been creative and artistic. I took a lot of AP art classes and uh, had my portfolio all created, was meeting and talking to uh, the Chicago Art Institute. But there was something kind of not nagging at me, but kind of concerned that I didn't want to become a starving artist. And if I put all my eggs in the basket of trying to be an artist, I was afraid that I would, I don't want to say resent it, but if my whole livelihood and financial sanity was, you know, at the crux of doing artwork day in and day out, I was afraid I would not only get burned out by it, but just lose my passion overall. So not to follow in Josh's footsteps, but, you know, he went to our in-state school, uh, University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And I just thought, well, you know, I could always just go to a big school, take as many classes as possible and see if there's something that might connect with me. So I went to the School of Business and took um, marketing, advertising, accounting, you name it, every class under the sun. I even took ice skating, which, by the way, was incredible. I loved ice skating, my favorite class by far. Um, But it was advertising that um, really stood out because I saw it as a way of not only being creative, but kind of utilizing the creative part of my brain. So once I got into advertising, I was, you know, not looking back. I just wanted to do everything um from an advertising perspective. And I, I lean more towards the copywriting side, um, just coming up with taglines and copy versus the design side. So after you know my, my stint at school, which um, included a semester studying abroad in Australia, which that was, if anything, drew me more into, not to go on a tangent, geez, I, I sound like my father just going on, <laughs> on these nice uh, diatribes here. Um, no, I, um, 
was in no rush to uh, graduate. So I intentionally withheld a class I needed to uh, graduate and studied abroad. So I, I went to uh, Sydney, Australia for five months. And that was you know, by far one of the coolest experiences of my life. But if anything, it made me love pinball even more because that was the longest I was away from it. And I never realized how much I loved it. And especially on the competition side, that was when Papa 7, it was the first time it came back, I missed it. So I, it was the first tournament I watched from afar and, you know, rooting on Josh. And I just wanted to, nothing more than to fly back and compete in that. So if anything, I grew to love pinball when I was out there. Um, it was the first time I really started reading the forums. So there was no pin side, but, you know, there was uh, our GP. That was the first, I always made fun of Josh because he would always read that stuff. And I'm like, I have zero interest in any of that. And that was the first time I kind of got hooked into the forums. And, you know, I kind of never looked back. So I don't, all right, let me get back to what, what you're asking. So in college, never thought of pinball, loved advertising, graduated college and wanted to work in an ad agency at all costs. So I found a small uh, agency outside of the Chicago area, and it was as an account coordinator, so not as a copywriter. So I thought, well, let me just get in there. I can maybe do some copywriting on the side. And that's where I kind of fell in love with more of the project management aspect and not on the copy side, because in, in school, you can have whatever clients you want, you know, oh, great, I can create this Budweiser campaign. This is fun. Versus the real world where it's like, hey, Zach, can you write this eight page diabetes brochure? Oh, that sounds fantastic. Um, it felt more like homework than a creative outlet. So, but I like being kind of the head producer and overseeing projects from start to finish and working with clients. Um, I kind of always had this analogy that uh, an account manager is almost like a waiter at a restaurant where you're taking, I don't want to say orders from the client, but you're working with the creative team, which is the chefs, and you're trying to create this masterful dinner or lunch for the client. And um, I enjoyed, you know, delivering those delicious meals on time, on budget, and exceeding expectations. So what, what took you from doing these little these these little advertisement stuff and focused you more towards stern i mean obviously there's a there's a gap in between there oh yeah no there's a definite gap and th this is a funny uh it was a long a long story in the making but um as a side job i was a contributing writer both josh and i for playmeter magazine it was a, it was at the time the lead uh coin operated magazine and we were uh, picking up the baton from our father from his Critics Corner column. And it was called Critics Corner 2. And we would review new equipment. So it was a fun way of just being connected to the coin-op industry, but not in a full um, employment capacity. So we would. the great thing about doing that article once a month was it allowed us to travel to the two big trade shows. So there was you know, the Amusement Expo and the AMOA show. So it would be cool to, you know, going to Vegas twice a year, even before I was 21 and, you know, playing all the new games, both video and pinball. And 
we kept that going for so I mean until almost I know Josh had to retire when he started working for Rothrells and it was kind of a conflict of interest but you know I wasn't at Stern so I I mean I literally was writing for that magazine up until um, I got employed by Stern but you know, one of the first stops Josh and I would always make would be at the stir booth at these trade shows. And, you know, we've known Gary for forever and everyone else at the company. And I remember uh, John Buscalia asking me, he's our uh, chief revenue officer and my boss. And he was asking me, you know, have you ever thought about working in pinball? And at the time, my, my mindset was completely different. You know, I loved the agency I worked for. So in my mind, my goal was to get Stern as a client. I never thought of like having the light bulb moment of, oh, I can work inside Stern. It was more of how can I get Stern to be a client of ours? So when he asked me that at the time, you know, I was so happy with my job at uh, Iris Worldwide, the agency I was at, that I kind of laughed him off and not to be disrespectful, but I was just like, no, I'm good, but thank you. Like, I'm like, what can I get to, you know, get Stern as a client? And, you know, it kind of went nowhere, but he planted the seed at that trade show. And I was talking to Josh afterwards. I'm like, I don't know if he was being serious or not. And maybe I shouldn't have just laughed it off. I'm like, I kind of took stock that day and I planted the seed. I'm like, you know what? The next time he asked me that question, I'll be way more receptive to it. So Fast forward, you know, four years later from when he asked me that, and I'm like, I'm interested. And uh, the rest is history. So how long have you been at Stern now? It will be three years, I want to say, this summer. Yeah, three years uh, this July. So what has it been like working at Stern? Is it a lot different now that you're behind the curtain? Um, not, not entirely different. Um, again, maybe just because, you know, not only did I grow up around the industry when my dad was at Williams, but even just knowing and being, you know, under an NDA with Stern since I was 16 years old, giving, you know, rules input and design ideas, you know, back in the day with Josh, um, I would say nothing really shocked or surprised me. Really? Nothing? All right. Well, maybe not nothing. I, I would say <laughs> in, until you're uh, all right, I'll try to frame this better until you're okay. really in the mix of things. And, you know, I'm not just talking about taking a factory tour, but just seeing everyone all throughout the factory doing the work. Um, you know, it takes so many people to take these concepts from paper or computer and taking that and making something physical and tangible. So I would say, if anything, it just opened my eyes more to the process. You know, there's so many amazing people that, you know, I never came across when I was not with the company. And it just boggles my mind how it comes together. Um, I know personally, and maybe others, we take um, for granted how easy it is just to flip on a switch, press the start button, and, you know, being instantly transported into whatever universe is in front of you. But all of the work, all of the miles of wire, everything that goes into creating these masterpieces, um, you almost just take for granted. So seeing how the sausage is made is, uh, it is cool and it never gets old. Now, actually, I, I want to get into that a little bit. Um, you've always been, you've always prided yourself, at least Stern has, 
at made in the USA, or at least, you know, domestic manufacturing when a lot of things are being exported to uh, different countries to assemble and everything like that. So talk about the challenges of trying to maintain that, uh, that made in the USA uh, stamp of saying, yes, we are, we're a local company. We work here and there are advantages to do it this way, but there are also some challenges. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of outside my, you know, role of expertise and, you know, I'm not in supply chain management. Um, I think it certainly helps at least from the Chicago aspect that there's so much tribal knowledge and resources for pinball creation. I mean, there's a reason why there's kind of the moniker, you know, pinball is to Chicago as automobiles are to Detroit. There's just some inherent tribal knowledge that has just been passed generation to generation. Now, that's not to say that, you know, automobiles can't be produced outside of Detroit or pinball can't be produced outside of Chicago, but I'm sure there's advantages that I'm not even aware of and maybe even challenges, but there, there's a reason why there's so much happening in the lifeblood of Chicago stems from Chicago that, you know, predates, you know, even my father. So I, I, I want to talk about a little bit of your, your realm of what you do at Stern um, with the recent events of just some of the stuff. And, and if you can't answer, you know, just tell me no. But, you know, there's, there's been like pictures of like Keith Elwin giving an award and, and we see a, a certain topper in the background. Or there's a conference call c- catch of a video of all the designers together and, and Dwight just happens to have something over his shoulder. It, are those intentional? Or is that something that just, you know, you guys went, well, whoops, it, it got passed, passed and we call it good? Or how does that work? <laughs> this is where I like to just say, you know, we can neither confirm nor deny. Hey, Understandable. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that better than just saying I plead the fifth? I mean, at least yeah. n- neither confirm nor deny. You know, it it leaves it open to either or. You just you, you just don't know. Considering I'm not under an NDA because I really know nothing behind the scenes. One, I I would suspect that if it's not intentional, it's certainly clever guerrilla marketing. So it it makes us talk about it at least in the pinball media. And I say that's a huge advantage. So if it's not intentional, I think you should keep doing it anyway. So, <laughs> Well, I can neither confirm nor deny my approval or disapproval of that comment. So thank you. <laughs> can you, ca, between the time when your dad was at uh, Williams Valley, I, that was a, a golden age of pinball in the 90s, but it certainly didn't end on a high note. However, you're doing a very similar job now when, uh, aside from this recent uh, um, quarantine thing, it actually felt like it was on this upswing and this growth. So why don't you define the difference between then and now? And why is it on the ascendance now as opposed to the the decline in the 90s? Um, Well, I am certainly no expert. but I'll, I'll do my best to give my perspective on things. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think it's apples and oranges just from a company perspective. You know, Williams is a publicly traded company with shareholders and, you know, Stern is privately owned. So it's kind of different because, you know, if Stern was publicly traded and say that our 
our shooter rods were the most profitable item, period. It doesn't matter if we make a pinball machine, only the shooter rod is profitable. And the you know, shareholders vote on saying, you know what, Stern, you should stop making pinball machines, only make shooter rods. I don't care where they go, just make shooter rods. Like the landscape of Stern can completely change. And, you know, it's kind of no different than uh, Williams. It wasn't that pinball wasn't profitable. And I know not to say the stories that everyone's heard a million times, you know, it wasn't like pinball 2000 even failed. It was successful. It's just when you're comparing the profitability of a slot machine versus a pinball machine, hey, do you want to make $100 on your investment or $10 on your investment? It's like, you know, from a shareholder perspective who has no ties to pinball specifically, hey, I want to make more money. So you should do that. So it's kind of tough to compare. Um, but on a personal selfish level, I love the landscape of pinball today versus back then. Because not only was it a different model, I mean, back then it was I don't want to say completely driven, but mostly driven by the commercial market where, you know, games were designed to produce. And essentially that was it. You know, you would get your no good gophers, Terminator 2 on location. And that was the end of that game. That That is what it is. And the one thing I love with just not only the, the improvement in technology, but just broadening the pinball market you know, to the consumer market is, you know, we're able to refine and revisit and sometimes even redesign a current game's rule set. Um, you know, Josh and I, selfishly, we always joke that, you know, there's so many good games from the 90s that we, you know, we just love to play. But, you know, due to software bugs, we just, we, we can't use them in the events that we personally run uh, for the IPA. And it's like, if that happened today where, you know, wow, there's this game-breaking bug on Jurassic Park. We can't use this game ever again because it's complete. You know, nowadays it's like, oh, wow, there's this game-breaking bug. Next week there's a code update release. You update the machine and everything is perfect. So I think there's a lot of cool things now that just weren't possible back then. Yeah, I, I've actually heard two stories. One, I heard one story where someone brought up that issue with Lyman and when he went to a competition, so he was actually coding like an update to fix that, like before the competition. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind <laughs> yeah. of an amazing, Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, however, on the flip side, as a marketer, um, there are amazing marketing potential for slot machines. I mean, I went through, uh, I was in Vegas for a conference about two years ago, and I walked through and I saw a Sharknado. And so I'm hoping <laughs> that that actually crosses over and we get a Sharknado pinball machine coming out. Hey, you never know. I know that you've got like Tim Sexton down there now and, and you saying that you've had kind of a more video game background. Do you feel like video games are starting to influence kind of pinball to help improve where they're going nowadays? Um, I, I think it can only help. I don't think it hurts. I mean, I think as things evolve and progress, it, it's it, it's always good to have fresh ideas, fresh thinking, fresh uh, perspectives. Um, you know, sometimes when you sit to something so close so often, um, I don't want to say you have blinders on, but you just might not see things differently. So getting on, getting on that, uh, you have an amazing collection of pinball talent in the Chicago area. So I'm going to create your your 
uh, foursome, and I want you to pick the four games that you're going to play. So I'm going to put you, I'm going to put Keith Elwin, I'm going to put Tim Sexton, and I'm going to put Josh Sharp in your group. Now cool. so you, Keith, so Keith, Keith wins. All right, cool. So we're going to play. For second. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, I'm giving you the advantage. I'm letting you select four games that will either play to your strengths or play to their weaknesses. <laughs> um, you know what? I love playing everything. So I don't know if there's anything that gives me more of a advantage. I mean, I, I will, I'm never afraid and I'll never pick games that I perceive as my opponents being weaker at. So um, can I pick the same game four times over? Then I would say Roller Coaster Tycoon. Let's go. <laughs> wow, really? Yes. It, yeah, I'm not it, joking. For, for some reason, that game I just excel at better than I think anyone on, anyone on the planet. If, if there was one game that it's like my life depended on winning, I would pick Roller Coaster Tycoon against anyone. It has some pretty ramps or, or the wire forms. I, I yeah. am jealous of those. <laughs> but outside of that, I mean, you know, I guess I, you know, I have to go with the oldies that I grew up with. Let's bring in a sharpshooter, Cyclops and a jumping jack just to keep things interesting. Okay. So um, how many games do you personally have in your collection? Uh, I own eight. And what are, what are they? I've got a jumping jack, a taxi, which, funny enough, this is, if I do ever decide to sell this game, it's got a pretty cool, unique history, because I bought that game from no other than Scott Denisi. And this was, like, maybe 10 years ago, so this is before anyone knew who Scott Denisi was. They really didn't even know who I was, besides just being Roger's kids, or Josh's little brother. So, um I actually bought Scott Denise's Taxi. Um, I've got A Walking Dead, Iron Maiden, Frontier, Cyclops, Sharpshooter, and Jurassic Park. Do you uh, do you have the premiums on Iron Maiden and Jurassic Park? Yes. Yeah, and Walking Dead. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. People say the crossbow shot is the uh, the game changer on Walking Dead. No, it's the Walker bombs. It's the Walker oh. Bombs. Oh. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so. That's a pretty tight selection of games. So uh, what makes a perfect game? Or is that even possible to make a perfect game? Can I say Jurassic Park? <laughs> you can. You, you and Josh. That and Cyclops are, are, are perfect games. And then, you know, there's a lot of others that, you know, that can come close. But, I mean, I mean, truly, I mean, a perfect game. I don't know if there's ever a 100% perfect game because I feel like everything can always be improved or modified or nothing will ever be 100%, but I think there's definitely some games that are right on the precipice of it. So, Yeah, I, I certainly am waiting for uh, the ability to sell a few games so I can actually get my own Jurassic Park. Um, hopefully when production ramps up, I'll be able to get one. You will not be disappointed. Yeah. No, my, my friend actually has a, a Jurassic Park LE, and uh, we he lives two miles away from me, so I go over to his house all the time when I can. So I got to ask, though, because you're saying Jurassic Park's the perfect game. What would you say to the fanboys of Lord of the Rings, then? I mean, that's a fantastic game as well. 
It's kind of like deep dish pizza and thin crust. I mean, I love them both. You know, a nice steak and even chicken. I love them both. And those are two games that I love them both. You know what? It'll be interesting if they face off in the Stern Showdown, uh, who wins. Nice. Okay, so getting back to Chicago pizza, what's the best one? Uh, Personally, Lou Malnati's. Okay. That that is my favorite deep deep dish Chicago pizza by far. I'm pretty for sure Keith, that one said Gino East. So we might have to have have a face off here. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, Gino's East is good. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, to me, there is no bad pizza. So I, after I talked to Josh, I um, I did order some pizza from Lou. So it uh, should be here this week, and I'll be able to try that out. That's awesome. And, and not to go back to my Australia story, um, my birthday actually took place when I was in Australia. And my family, they delivered, because it delivers worldwide, they surprised me with Lou Malnati's pizza when I was in Australia because I was away from uh, my Chicago-style pizza. So. That was one of the best pizzas I ever ate was that cooking that Lumanati is when I was, you know, deprived of it for, you know, multiple months. So, so I, I wanted to get in and I've asked your dad this. I asked Josh this. Um, so tech support. So uh, I, I just saw that Marco is starting a tech stream, which I is great because I am such a, a tech newbie when it comes to getting underneath. I can do some things, but not much. Has Stern ever considered doing like a pinball maintenance for beginners? Hey, you're buying a new machine. Here are the 10 things you should know how to get underneath and fix. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, been considered. And, you know, I don't want to say that it's not in not in the works. Um, you know, we've definitely held um, tech service schools. Um, this is more on the commercial side versus the consumer side. So, you know, at those trade shows that are for, you know, operators, um, we do hold those kind of classes and teaching them, you know, best practices with uh, pinball maintenance and repair. So it it is definitely something that has happened throughout the history of Stern. Um, It's just more or less if there's a way to uh, package that and deliver it either to a different audience or just having a different um, area for that content to live. So I know Scott has talked uh, uh, kind of the barrier to entry to pinball being maybe some service or whatnot. Does Stern perceive a certain barrier to entry and how are you guys tackling to, uh, to overcome that? I wouldn't say that there's, I mean, so much a barrier to entry. I mean, if anything, it, it could be, you know, price regardless of, you know, which product we're talking about. Um, you know, pinball is a luxury item and, you know, given the current economic state, you know, with a lot of people unemployed, it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. But, you know, currently a lot of people are, you know, transitioning their vacation funds into a purchase of, you know, a brand new Stranger Things or Jurassic Park. So um, it'll definitely be interesting to see how everything that's out once um, we get a handle on all this uh, COVID-19 stuff. Can you talk to us kind of what Stern's doing to help combat the COVID-19 with, with your guys' company and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely just trying to highlight, you know, not only how fun pinball is, but it, it's a great escape. Um, funny enough, I have never played, and I'm saying played in quotations, more pinball in my life, in my home collection than during this time. 
um, because my son has taken a obsessive liking to it. So it's sometimes some of the first things he will say when he's waking up, we hear on the monitor, pin, pin, ball, pin, ball. And it's just like, wow, dude, like we will go down after breakfast or after brushing your teeth or after lunch or even before bedtime. So really it's just trying to, you know, highlight that, you know, pinball is still around. People are enjoying it. Um, we kind of have this hashtag play strong and, you know, people are starting to share their stories of how pinball, you know, is saving them, whether that is, you know, through sanity or just an escape from whatever problems they may be facing. And it's just a way for people to be connected. Um, I know we can't physically be connected with one another, but to be able to be uh, connected digitally or even just, you know, playing and sharing your high score on a machine or even watching a live stream. You might not even own a pinball machine, but you're able to kind of watch the action and that scratches the pinball itch or you play it digitally. Is there one game he likes more than another? To, to quote Gary Stern, the latest one he's playing. <laughs> um you know what i he he loves jurassic park because he wants to say hello to the dinosaur um he likes sharpshooter because i've been pointing out that it's grampy and grammy even though i don't like saying that that's grammy on the back glass i do kind of point that it's grampy um but now he just he loves hitting start he can uh he can plunge a ball and he knows to work the flippers so now it's uh, we'll, we'll see how much this. I don't want to say it's a fad, but we'll see how long it lasts. It seems like there's no signs of it slowing down anytime soon. So I know you talked about kind of digital a little bit. Um, I know that Stern has their own Stern Pinball Arcade with Farsight. Um, is there anything that you guys are trying to do to maybe further that, or is it kind of dead in the water? Or can you really talk of that? Um, you know, no comment on my end for right now. I mean, things are you know always in development. Um, it's just a different landscape, um, digital versus physical. It's, you know, completely different departments, different licensing. So it's, it's not always an apples to apples. So Zach, do you mind if we talk a little bit about manufacturing, uh, at Stern, uh, you guys have, uh, you guys in, in many ways have a much more refined process than a lot of, uh, a lot of other companies. Uh, you have, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, you have two lines going, is that correct? Uh, technically, we have three. We have uh, two main production lines. So that's that's probably what you're referring to, like the two main lines that almost mirror each other. I don't know if you've either of you have been on the Stern Factory Tour. But... I don't, but I want to come this, uh, I want, uh, if Expo is happening, since uh, <laughs> I was planning on uh, spending my uh, you know, my credit to go to a, a festival this year, I was going to go to Texas because they were going to do the, a lot of reveals, but now I'm hoping to push that to expo so I can actually come on the tour. Well, you know what? We won't put a date, like a year date on it, but the next time you come to expo, um, you should definitely come on the factory tour. Absolutely. But yeah, we have like the two main production lines. So that's whenever you've seen pictures or even videos, um, that's like the main production line of uh, our pinball machines. But we do have a third smaller uh, production line near the cable assembly area where we can um, handle conversions and accessory production. 
Okay. Converting what? Like, tell me more about that. Conversions. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So converting. So with machines, if it's in the U.S. versus uh, overseas, is different power supply, different uh, coin coinage. So the conversion line is literally converting, you know, a, a U.S. game to a European game. So say that, you know, we made an initial production of 100 Deadpools and we originally planned 75 being domestic and 25 being European. And lo and behold, Germany wants 30 Deadpools out of nowhere. They ran out of stock inventory and they really need it and we need to fill a container. Well, we need to convert five of those domestic games that we've built to um, European coinage, power, you name it. So that that is that line where it will handle conversions, if that makes sense. So Zach, I know that uh, Stern has, has publicly announced the last couple of years that they do so many cornerstones. I think it's three or four a year. With, with COVID and everything that's happening so far, um, do you guys still look to be on that same schedule or... Or has that changed now? And does also to like Stranger Things, since it came out so late last year, does that count towards your cornerstones this year? Yeah, I mean, we don't put ourselves like on a, a scheduled date of like, all right, well, this is technically last year's cornerstone. But, you know, roughly in a 12 month period, you know, we will have three cornerstone titles. And, you know, as of right now, I mean, we're still planning to keep that cadence in some capacity, but. You know, obviously, if stay-at-home orders and restrictions to manufacturing extend further, I mean, it could certainly impact it, not going to lie. So on the lines, uh, if when, when you have it set up and you turn on the lights and you start going, uh, how much time does it take to make one pinball machine from start to finish? Yeah, so it roughly takes 30 man hours or, or or people hours. I don't know. They've always used the word man hours, but it's kind of people hours. It's sure. thir 30 hours from start to finish. Okay. And how does that usually go in like a sequential? Obviously there's downtime where on an assembly line, you move to the next section and it may not hop on. So let me just say, I put a red dot on a, uh, you know, on a Deadpool and I say, okay, go, I'm just going to see how long the typical cadence is for it to go from Okay, go time to we're boxing it. Yes. So, I mean, it's, it's weird because, like, I, I don't know, like, all the specific data just because I don't work on the production line. And, you know, depending on when parts are coming in, they might build, you know, like a Deadpool up to a certain part. And it's like, oh, well, we were waiting on new Katana sword ramps to come in or little Deadpools. So they might build it up to a certain point, put it to the side and wait for that, you know those parts to come in. But, you know, from start to finish, if you were just going to kind of steamroll through, it would be 30 hours from start to finish of assembling. Okay. So my question is, Zach, if I, I know with COVID shutting everything down and whatnot, and you guys are kind of at a standstill, when you guys finally get the green light, whether it be from the governor of Chicago or, or of Illinois or whatnot, are you pretty much going to pick up right where you guys left off? Or you, is it going to have to be a slow ramp up process? I mean, it, again, it depends on the definition of opening up. I know there's a lot of kind of slowly easing into um, the ramp up of 
not just manufacturing, but all businesses, you know, is it 25% capacity, 50% capacity. So I wouldn't say it's just a light switch. It's more kind of like a dimmer switch. So I think, you know, no doubt once we are officially open for business in whatever capacity, we've got a lot of games to build, no doubt, but it'll just be, you know, a slow migration to full capacity, I'm sure. Just with, you know, proper social distancing guidelines and just, you know, first and foremost, keeping everyone safe. For sure. So I guess the other the other question I have, too, and, and I understand if you can't answer this one or not. Typically, we've, we've done the research for the past three or four years, and Stern hap- is pretty good to release a title March, April, May. Can we expect to see some a new title shortly after you guys are able to ramp back up? You know what? I mean, just stick around and watch. I, you, you never know. You can't predict the future. But I would say we are ready to build a lot of new stuff. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that's been uh, been happening, I would say, in the last uh, you know, five to seven years in pinball is people have uh, been customizing their pinball machines more. Uh, you saw it more really with Tron, where... And even to some extent, Lord of the Rings, where people, you know, they took the glass off and they created mods and they put things on there. Now, Stern has started to get into that business. Uh, Tell me a little more about the philosophy on that and what you feel is Stern's role in that, because uh, car car companies have done this for years. Oh, you want a, a chrome gear shifter? That's fine. Oh, you want a you know, you want. Uh, red stitching, you want something, uh, that's fine. So tell me more about Stern's philosophy on that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely, you know, like pimping, pimping out your ride. And I know Harley Davidson, you know, ownership, they're really big into the Harley Davidson model. And, you know, it's kind of like building up your motorcycle. You know, you want chrome pipes versus the standard. And, you know, I'm not a motorcycle guy, so I couldn't dive deeper into that. But, you know, it's no different than a pinball machine. You know, it doesn't make sense from initial building on, especially the pro model. A lot of these are going into bars and locations and they could care less about some kind of Chrome add-on or toys or gimmicks that could potentially, you know, break or fall off with 10,000 plus plays. But, you know, for a home collector or enthusiast, you know, they love to trick out their machines. Um, you know, every game is going to be different on that level of accessory um, because depending on, you know, the license, that that's license IP. So if it's Deadpool or Marvel, they might not be cool with you hitting or bashing a certain character. So I know on the secondhand market, there's a lot of people who are creative with trying to come up with mods and um at least from a stern perspective, you know, there's certain limitations to what, you know, the licensor will allow. Yeah. I guess it'd be the same as seeing alternate translites. Um, and I'm not talking the risque ones. I'm just talking to people who are like, Oh, I like, so for Iron Maiden, for example, people like, you know what? I just really like the live after death translite, you know, just the album cover. That's what I grew up with. So I've seen people obviously do that, uh, probably without uh, permission from the intellectual property. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's so I'm assuming it's a very similar thing where you're like, I would love to do this, but I can't. Yeah, I mean, it's no different than the art packages and everything that our design team comes up with. You know, 
it's like we really want to do this t-rex theme and it's like the licensor be like no we really like a raptor it's like okay we're gonna go with a raptor theme so i mean it, it is you know we're constantly working with the licensor to bring their product uh to light the way that they envision it and sometimes we provide them with ideas that they're like oh yeah we really like that and sometimes it's vice versa sometimes the licensor comes back with an idea that we originally didn't think of and it helps make the product better. So on the same lines of the uh, accessories and whatnot, my question is there's been complaints of why doesn't Stern just release the topper and all the accessories, not necessarily with the pinball machine, but as an add on at the beginning, instead of six months to a year down the road, is there, is there reasoning behind that or, yeah, I mean, again, in a perfect world, yes, it would be ready upon launch, but sometimes there's factors that are out of our control, whether it's a parts issue or, again, working with the licensor. Sometimes, you know, add-ons are through a different department entirely. I mean, not to bring up the Star Wars topper, but let's just say, you know, that was a long road to get that to market. And, you know, ultimately, you know, we're happy with the end result. But, you know, in a perfect world, it would be ready upon launch. But sometimes there's just factors on approvals, manufacturing of those specific uh, parts that, you know, delay the launch. Right. What you're saying is you don't, you're not going to hold up a game because you're waiting on approval of a shooter rod. Yes, exactly. It, again, and this goes to my point of, you know, the pro model going out to the marketplace, you know, most operators they couldn't care less for a shooter rod or a topper or side blades. They want to get their new game in the market to get people in their stools, buying drinks, buying food, playing the newest game. And that, you know, that's the bread and butter for Stern is, you know, creating and producing new pinball machines. You know, while we do everything pinball with, you know, merchandise, accessories and, you know, digital at the forefront, it is still the pinball machine that, you know, resonates. Zach, how do you guys try to, how do you balance a home market and an operator market? Very carefully. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of the model between the pro and the premium LE. So the premium LE model kind of services that home market, you know, it's, it's souped up a little bit more. There's more toys and gimmicks. And that pro model really is for the operator market, but the games are so fun that it kind of, it bleeds across all facets. So, you know, while on paper, you might say, all right, the pro is for the commercial market. Premium LE is for the enthusiast consumer market. I'm sure you've seen it in your neck of the woods. There's a lot of operators who are also enthusiasts. So, We've seen more and more, not only premium, but LE games going out on location, which is kind of crazy. I know that there's, you know, certain, some Stern Army locations like Helicon Brewery in Pittsburgh. There's um, on, on Tilt at Ace Gogi outside of LA, and they only operate LE games, which is incredible because, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, these limited games, it's like, they don't even want to play it because it's like, this is pristine. And it's like, there's other people who are like, no, I want people to play this LE model in the market. 
So it's kind of blurred lines with the consumer and commercial market nowadays more than ever before. It's interesting how some features will actually change the feel of a game. Uh, the two games I can think of where they're both good, but you have to choose your style. Um, uh, game of Thrones has yep. the the upper play field where it's a completely different feel. If you have the upper play field versus the pro and it's the same thing with black Knight. I mean, black Knight, uh, the pro seems to be this, these high energy velocity ride where when you have the upper play field, it, it's a little more of a throwback to the original black Knight, where you have that, uh, that lull in the speed, I guess. Yeah, no, I mean, and sometimes even with games that, you know, from a, a top overhead view, it looks like there's not much differentiation. I mean, look no further than Jurassic Park. If you were to just look quick, quickly side by side, it's like, oh, they look kind of the same. But that premium LE has a T-Rex that will eat the ball, throw it around. You've got the little Raptor pen, the horizontal helicopter uh, spinning blade. So it's, a, it's those nice little subtle touches that, you know, a home enthusiast will gravitate towards and want to connect with versus, you know, on location. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't necessarily need that. But I mean, to your point, there's some games where it is much more of a drastic uh, difference. We talked about Josh, uh, I think last year we mentioned, and I was talking about the differences between a premium and an LE. And he actually said, he doesn't actually put shaker motors in his machines or turn them on. What what do you personally like to play with at home? Um, I'm really bare bones. I know I've got the premium. I don't dress up my games. So while I think shaker shaker motors and art blades and uh, side rails are cool, um, that's just not my jam. I just I love just playing the game. But, I mean, when I do play an example of a machine with a shaker motor, I mean, it is usually involved in choreographed really cool. So, you know, if, if it's the T-Rex stomping and you're feeling the game like go do, 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 or even on a game like Ghostbusters when you're starting storage facility multiball and the game is just vibrating and going crazy, um, it definitely can enhance the experience. It's almost like, I don't know, not to date myself, but with uh, Nintendo 64 back in the day, there was the rumble pack that you could add to the controller. And when you'd play, you know, Mario Kart or something, and it would vibrate when you're getting hit with a red turtle shell. It's definitely uh, a unique experience. Well, uh, to date me, then I actually go back to uh, the original Atari in television. So um, that's even uh, that that was a big leap to go from a, Atari to Intellivision, and then when Nintendo came out with their original Nintendo Entertainment System, uh, that was the crazy good graphics. And now they look like pixelated garbage, but I still have more fun playing those. So, oh yeah, I mean, I I just remember the first time that Nintendo sixty four came out. I think that was the one system that completely blew me away with that uh, Super Mario sixty four. Uh, Josh and I would ride our bikes over to the closest Toys R Us, rest in peace, and we would play on their free little consoles. And it was like, we can't wait to play this at home. This is incredible. Yeah, I, I actually still play that one with my kids. And then Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. I mean, that was uh, so good. Okay, so we you've seen this before. There's so much nostalgia associated with Nintendo 
why don't we get a Zelda game? I mean, come on. It's it's like a a Zelda game or a a Metroid or hey, I would take us uh, an updated Super Mario. I mean, we can look at this. I mean, it'd be so much fun. I'd totally put it in my house. Josh loves the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and he is all on board with a possible game with that license. I would be all on board with a Nintendo license. I always like to say, you never know. <laughs> Zach, with JJP moving kind of all their services to Chicago and whatnot, uh, does it change the landscape for you guys? Um, I don't think so. Um, if anything, maybe we'll see a few uh, friendly faces at Portillo's or other you know, lunch spots. But no, I mean, I, I think it's still business as usual for both companies. I mean... I think the again, and I was kind of saying how you know Chicago is kind of the forefront of pinball manufacturing. I think at the end of the day, though, in terms of distribution and selling the games worldwide, just the sheer location of the production, I don't think it would change either of our models necessarily. So, um, no, I I think it's all it's all good. More pinball is good for everyone. Yeah. So. To, to put some of the minds at rest at home, um, is it like when you see someone from JJP at the same Burger King as you guys, you get out the brass knuckles and it's like West Side Story? <laughs> the Sharks and the Jets? Yeah. <laughs> it's a dance fight. I would love to see a dance fight. You know, I am a, I am a pretty good dancer. You know, my wife and I had a, choreogra- a choreographed dance for our, our wedding. But um, no, you know, it's at least me personally. I can't speak to everybody. Um, I've known pretty much everyone in this industry since I was a toddler. So it is, to me, it is all good. Even before I started working at Stern and when I first started working, I've got no bad blood with anyone. So I'm, I'm all for more pinball in the world. So when I see anyone from any other um, company, it is met with a hello and uh, a goodbye. Awesome. I like that just because I think too much, there's, there's definitely the fanboys out there, and there's this weird division sometimes in the community. Yeah. I think they have a hard time understanding. It's like we're all on the same team because we're all doing pinball together, you know? Yeah, I almost equate it to sports where, well, I won't use the Bulls and Pistons as an example because that is real bad blood. But you, you hear from, like, professional athletes, and it's like you almost project your own personal opinion of, like, yeah, you know, the Patriots hate the Colts, you know, screw Peyton Manning, Tom Brady hates them. And it's like, no, they're actually really good friends. They're going to play some golf. And it's like, there's no bad blood before, you know, between them. And not to say that they're not competitive. And when they play each other, you know, it's not to the death necessarily. But, you know, when the game's over, it's like, hey, you know, good game. And it's, you know, good sportsmanship. And I like to think I'm a kind of an optimistic person that, by and large, most people are cool with each other. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, th- I think it's um, it, you even see it on the forums in pinball where there's some, uh, I guess, a, people who take aggressive stances. And I've never really understood that because this is my escape. Uh, the, there's enough drama that we have in our own lives, just in, a, in business and in family or whatever. Like, I don't see the reason to bring it to what I consider an enthusiast hobby driven uh, yeah. market. Life's too short to be negative. So I, I've always been a, a positive person. And especially when there's things that's out of my control, I 
don't freak out because it's out of my control. So I always try to look at the glass uh, half full. So Josh and I just uh, got our own copies of Pinball by your dad. So when are you and your brother going to write Pinball 2 exclamation <laughs> point? You know what? I'll leave that to Josh. I, I'll, I'll, you know what? I will volunteer myself to do the marketing and promotion of the book, but uh, I will nominate Josh to actually uh, write it. Okay. There are some awesome pictures in that book, though. I, mean, it, I open up that book and I can smell the environment of my childhood. Oh, yeah. It's funny because my dad literally just sent an email to my mom, Josh, and I with a picture that... Um, was on the cutting room floor, so it actually was not in the book. And it was a, it was his book in the window of like a, a corner bookstore from New York. And it looks really, it, it almost looks like straight out of, oh, it was, you know, the 70s or 80s. And it just looks so dated, but cool that it's like, there's just a window wall of pinball books. It's really cool. Okay, so I actually just sent you a picture. I was scanning through the book, and I can, I really can smell this picture. It's actually uh, two people playing a pinball machine, and they have a Budweiser and three packs of cigarettes on there. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! A different, a different time, right? <laughs> it's a completely different time. It's like uh, back in the days when airplanes had a smoking section and a non-smoking section. Yeah, or or Denny's, I guess. So, Zach, is there anything you can tell us about the future of, of pinball in general and where you see it heading and, and uh, whatnot? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely unique times because, I mean, there's so many different ways to answer that. Um, I mean, look at the competitive side. You know, when are IFPA-sanctioned events going to happen? And, you know, I couldn't tell you. I know at the end of the day, pinball is not going away. I mean, it... it it is so much fun that it's just never going away. Now, in what capacity that is out on you know the commercial market, I don't know. I mean, I know that there's certain areas that have gotten hit harder by this pandemic, and you know there's some arcades and arcade bars that you know might not recover. But you know when everything is kind of back to the new normal, I think that you know pinball ultimately will, you know exceed and pick up right where it left off. So I think, you know, pinball is not going away. And, you know, from a Stern perspective, you know, we have a lot of cool stuff that we're going to be building and, you know, sharing with the world. And that's, you know, to the market as well as the home market. So I know that you guys don't release numbers at all, but I know that the Adams family's touted as the most, the highest selling modern pinball machine to date. If you guys sold a pinball machine that outdid the 22 or 23,000 that Adams family did. Would you guys release those numbers and, and kind of take the trophy from Williams and Bally? You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but you never know. Where is the, where's the next place for people to encounter pinball? I mean, we talk, I've talked about this with, uh, well, Josh and I have, we've talked about this with your dad. We've talked about this with your brother. Where are the new places people are going to encounter pinball? Because the arcades that you and I grew up on, they don't exist anymore. Yeah. I mean, is this the question of like post COVID-19 or kind of like before stuff went off the rails? 
you know, I, okay. Uh, so I work in a hospital and I just view that this is, yes, I, this year, I think we're just going to take a mulligan on. We're going to get through whatever's going on and then everybody's going to go back to their groove. And so I would argue that um, people are going to go back. People are going to go back to Disneyland. They're going to go to the amusement parks. They're going to go to the water parks. They're, they're going to go back to all the places where they found entertainment before. And yeah. so how do we get people to see pinball more in the entertainment wild? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say from that regard, it's still business as usual. I mean, Stern army locations have been increasing and popping up all over the place. So again, there's places for people to be playing these new games and even the older titles. Um, on the digital front, I know there's a lot of people that have gotten into the hobby because of, you know, playing the Stern Pinball Arcade. It's like, wow, there's a real Ghostbusters I can play in location, not just on my phone. And again, that's just organic reach of people being introduced and becoming aware of pinball. Um, I know from like an eSport perspective, the Stern Pro Circuit is growing year over year. And that's another touch point of new people getting involved. Um, I think it's really cool how even just on a competitive side, the youth is just dominating. And that that alone can introduce an entirely new generation of players. If a kid who's watching, you know, just stuff on Twitch randomly stumbles on Jack Danger's stream or, you know, Papa's broadcast of the Stern Pro Circuit final, and they see this kid playing pinball and dominating, and it's like, oh, wow, that, that's a kid my age doing something that looks kind of cool. And they're playing a Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I like that theme. Let me find out more about what this pinball thing is. And it's almost no different than how Josh and I got roped into the competitive side. You know, we saw other little kids playing and competing for trophies and it, it piqued our interest. And once we tried it, we've never looked back. So I don't know if you listen to other podcasts or whatnot. We know that you uh, listen to us exclusively, right? Of course. <laughs> so my question to you is we, we had Zach many of uh, formerly of this week in pinball now of the pinball show reach out to us because your dad, he, he said that your dad validated one of his ideas. So I want to run this cross <laughs> specifically to you and, and see what your thoughts are on this. Go, go for it. Uh, okay. In competitive pinball, Zach thinks the best way to reach out to everyone is to have like 10 like competitive pinball machines that have no theme and i'm trying to think exactly how he puts this like that way you could you could televise them you wouldn't have any issues with licensing and stuff like that and then the landscape would be pretty much just even across the field because like one person couldn't learn more about a machine than another is that something that's even realistic i, I don't know i keep hearing this idea kicked around and, and i want a professional's opinion let's put it that way that's a, you know, it, it's an interesting, I'll, I'll give like two, two answers to that. One, and this is me with my IFPA hat on. Whatever works to get like more exposure for pinball, I'm all for. So if you had ESPN or some other big entity saying, hey, we will cut you a million dollar prize for your players if you play on this. And 
I would be all for it. I mean, it was funny because Josh and I, you know, we've spoken with so many different production companies who've been trying to launch, you know, some kind of pinball initiative. And there were some wacky ideas, like almost like an amazing race style pinball competition. And it's like, yes, awesome. I don't care if this is the how pinball is distributed to the masses where people are playing a pinball machine underwater or playing a pinball machine while climbing rocks to get to the next level and then they have to play a ball. So from that perspective, I am all for whatever can get pinball out to the masses, whether it changes the infrastructure of what a game is or, you know, removes the theme from, you know, Zach's perspective, like, cool, I'm all for it. But taking a more realistic approach, I think that if you're telling me that this game that has no branding is going to resonate versus, hey, these people are competing on Star Wars from a just sheer mass um, visibility perspective. I mean, you tell me, is game number one going to resonate more versus Star Wars? Yeah, I, I think that you have to have uh, the marketing involved with that uh, the challenge with, and I'll use um, uh, I'll use golf as an example, and I'll even use something like um, bowling or uh, you know, or air hockey because I've talked about this before. There's a documentary called Way of the Puck, and it talks about uh, competitive air hockey. But the challenge is, once you buy a table, you have it. That's that's pretty much it. Uh, it's not like they're coming out with new technology. They're not changing every year. And so in many ways that kind of stagnated that competitive aspect because there wasn't really a market for new product out there. However, on the golf side, the, the manufacturers are what drive the tour because they're always coming out with a, with a new ball or a new head. And so the game's slowly changing and that's actually where the money is in golf and people want that new technology. They want that, that uh, evolving experience. And I would say the same thing with pinball. You don't want to have 10 standard games. You actually want to say, oh, well, this game is is pushing the limits this way. And this game is pushing the limits this way. If you look at the greatest hits from uh, the Williams Valley era in the 90s, they couldn't really compete very well with a standard game. If you released that game without the nostalgia factor, it's not going to compete very well with a current game because the rules on the current game, they're so much deeper. Uh, the the games are more refined now. And so you're going to have a different experience now than you would have in uh, 1995 or 1975 or 1955. It, it's, it's just a different situation. So I think the technology is pushing any field forward. And if you don't have that aspect, I think it'll stagnate and die. Yep. And I mean, just to kind of go along with that, I mean, you look at formats of tournaments, it's like, what would resonate well with the viewing audience? Is it timed challenges where it's you play two minutes or three minutes and whoever has the highest score wins? Is it objective based? You know, the first person to start this multi-ball or achieve some kind of scoring threshold, you know, something that's more digestible for somebody who is walking off the street and it doesn't know anything about pinball. Sometimes you need to distill it to the easiest form for them to understand what they're watching. Yeah. And, and I mentioned this to, to Keith Elwin, and I, I think I mentioned this to, uh, to your brother and that I, it's brilliant having that mini game mode in Jurassic park. Oh, it's, it's so much fun. 
Okay, but that is such a great uh, opportunity to say, okay, we uh, we know there is a giant game out there. We're going to focus on these aspects. Now, that's where you can televise. This is where, uh, like, uh, billiards. This is the reason why Nine Ball became the game is because it's a fast game. It's, it's quick to understand, and you can still see the skills. Yep. And having that escape mode in Jurassic Park, it's the same thing. It's a fast mode. People understand it, and you can still display your skills. Yep. I mean, hell, you could even do pinball horse, you know, trick shots. So do you think here in the future, because the other thing, too, is is people have said, you know, the the appeal of basketball, the appeal of um, soccer is that it is a time sport. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, once that 90 minutes is up in soccer or the the two hours in uh, in basketball, whatever it may be, um, people know that it's going to be over end at a certain time. Do you think timed events are going to become more? desirable for competition for for streaming and whatnot again it, you, you don't know because it depends on your audience i mean i know like with a lot of uh typical competitions you know there is no time constraint so guess what they're gonna just play out their games however they're normally gonna do it but you know maybe there's a unique side event that does implement some kind of time restriction and i know it's not quite at that same level but the whole flip flip frenzy craze that you know there is that component of trying to get in as many matches as possible and you don't necessarily want to keep playing your one current game because you want to get back in the mix and try to improve your win-loss record and everything so um it definitely will evolve i mean there's no doubt you know we were talking to your dad and he talked about there was back in the day they had prizes like a new car and these high end cash prizes do you think We'll ever be able to get competitive pinball back to a point where um, the competitors see a, a bigger cash investment to their prizes. I don't see why not. I mean, I think the world's our oyster, and the more you know, esports kind of takes off, and even just with the Stern Pro Circuit, I mean, year over year, it's trending up. So it, you look at Pinberg, it's trending up. Every big competition that prize package is trending up while it might not be spiking like a crazy exponential curve it is still trending up so like i said the sky is the limit and and i could use a new car so i hope uh the car dealerships out there are listening i wish they actually had uh this car is good for pinball moving like that that checkbox because i bought a car actually I, my car is five years old now, and I took it to pick up one of my first uh, games, and it was an Iron Man, and we loaded it, and I couldn't close the back. <laughs> yep, it, it's funny, because when uh, my wife and I were uh, moving from our condo to our current house, when we were looking, I would always bring a tape measure. And whenever we got to the basement, that was like the first thing that I went to was measuring the door and you know, certain houses, it's like, oh, we love this place. It's like, nope, can't fit a game down the basement. So that's a, that's a non-starter. And it, it was funny because people, the realtors that we were, you know, getting the houses shown would look at me weird, like, what is he measuring the basement door for? Usually, you know, that's not usually what they see somebody looking at first thing. So it was funny how people would be like, oh, he's got pinball machines and oh, this game or this house won't work because a game cannot fit through the door. It's no different than a car. It's like, 
I got to make sure that this SUV can fit a pinball machine. So I love that. Uh, I think there's like a pin side thread, you know, will a machine fit in blank car? It definitely helps. <laughs> well, and it's funny too, because um, recently because of the economy, the way it's went, uh, we've decided to buy a house instead of build. And it's that same thing. We're with the realtor and she just chuckles. She's like, I've never had uh, this be a concern for a customer before. <laughs> And, yep. and my wife just calls them our other children. Yep, we have to consider the other children and where they're going to live. <laughs> That's funny. I, I'm actually looking into getting a, a dolly so I can just move them up and down my stairs. I have this staircase of death out the back where I, I guarantee they would have never approved this if anybody actually had looked at it OSHA standard-wise. <laughs> but uh, we do have a, a staircase that goes downstairs that has a 90-degree angle in it however i mean they our heater air conditioner is in the basement and they got those down so i think i could get pinball machines up and down yeah josh and i have had some interesting uh, pinball moves back in the day especially when he had a pinball machine in his college uh, apartment that was like four flights up and 90 degree turns and yeah that wasn't fun there was a lot of pizza and beer involved for payment i liked i don't know if you ever saw jeff patterson's um way that he got his in and out of the basement he takes out a window and then he's got like two joists and then he's got like a, a dolly system that he just puts the the pinball machine on it just brings it up through the window well and out through the uh, out through the house and he's good to go oh wow no i have not seen that. That, that, that that's awesome i think there's people who have the the walk-in basements that are like yeah piece of cake it's like screw you god it's like no you, you don't move a pinball machine that easy it's got to be a little stressful well, I, I have a walk-in basement, but seriously, it's uh, it's these uh, stone steps that are meant to look nice. I'm like, oh man, I would never have done that. It, it's this this weird angled curve on them too. It's it's horrible. Yeah, my new house has got a walkout basement. So uh, and there's no steps in between the outside and the inside. So it's gonna be nice and easy, easy breezy. I hate, I hate you so much. <laughs> Well, Zach, is there anything else that you would like to wrap up and give your summary statement? No, I mean, I think, you know, I just hope that, you know, outside of a pinball perspective, you know, I hope everyone's just staying safe, you know, staying the course. Um, you know, pinball is, you know, so much fun that I always hate seeing people dive into whatever negative side of things. So, you know, try to remain positive, you know, stay safe and keep flipping. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I, we really appreciate it. We know that it's you know you you everybody who comes on our show they do it out of the love of the game, and uh, we really do appreciate uh, you helping out the enthusiast uh, the enthusiast market and the enthusiast drive to actually get more pinball. It's nice to have an insider's perspective on this. Yeah, no, definitely, and thank you guys. I mean, you guys are you know one of the many you know content creators and. You know, I appreciate what you guys do. I mean, it's entertainment for me. I mean, I listen to your guys' podcasts, and it's fun. It, it it warms my heart that there's so many people out there so passionate about pinball. Well, thank you. We really appreciate that. We enjoy we enjoy doing this, and we couldn't even imagine how to do your job. You you do a great job there at Stern, and uh, you always leave us wanting more when it comes to your marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, uh, I'll take that as a compliment. So, thank you. Okay, so Zach, if if people want to uh, get anything from Stern, buy uh, buy a shirt, buy a hat. I've actually 
been buying so much from the the Stern shop because they keep sending it because it, right now it's free shipping. So tell me how to get the Stern lifestyle brand and how to get a new pinball machine and if they need to, how to get a hold of you. You know what? Just go to sternpinball.com. And if you want to reach me uh, directly, zach.sharp at sternpinball.com. I always respond to every email that comes in. So if you didn't get a response, it might have gone to my uh, junk or spam. So don't send me bad links. All right. And if you want to pick up a new Stern Pinball machine, what's the best way to find a dealership or a, a distributor? Yeah, if you go on the Stern Pinball web website uh, under buy a game, you can search for uh, the closest dealer to you by zip code. Well, it's funny too. I want to just I just want to point this out. So a couple months back, I was having issues with my Stern Insider package arriving, and I I got a hold of Stern the the phone number or something on there, and they're like, oh yeah, you need to talk to Zach. And I'm like, oh, they're not going to send me to Zach Sharp, and they sent me to you, and I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was going to get you like. <laughs> Yeah. So it's really cool that you're the, the go-to guy. So I'm a Zach of all trades. I, I know she Shelly Sachs, for people who know the Data East uh, Stern history, she's the iconic figure behind Gary. Uh, she's always been known as the Jack of all trades. So I can't take that moniker, so I will go with the Zach of all trades. Nice. Well, I did get my, uh, my Stern Insider packet with no problem, so I appreciate that. Good to hear. Thank you for the support. All right, Josh, if they want to get a hold of us, how do they get a hold of us? So if you want to get a hold of us, we are Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. You can email us at loserkidpinballpodcast at gmail.com, or you can hit us up on Facebook. We seem to uh, respond very well there. Uh, we also have an Instagram account, and you've guessed it. It's at Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. Easy enough, right? So... All right, and we do have a website coming up. We just need to uh, get it designed, and it'll be out there. Uh, mainly have a lot of links to uh, friends of the show and uh, certainly the manufacturers. So uh, that is pending. Well, awesome. I think that pretty much wraps it up for our interview. Like uh, once again, thank you, Zach, for coming on and, and filling out the sharp trifecta as we're naming this. Yep. <laughs> you have to get my mom on here and that could truly be the last dance. We might have to consider that. <laughs> so. Well, awesome. Uh, Anything else, Scott? <laughs> Other than a cough? No, I'm good. Thanks. All right. Later.